Hello and welcome back to the TTL, Tatani Talks Life, the share where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. Tonight's topic is what direction are you heading? All of my podcasts, including the Tani Talks Parsha, the TTP, the TTPA, Tani Talks Pirke Avos, where we talk a mission of Pirke Avos per day, we sage the commentary and practical advice to say, the TTP, we talk a Parsha, we talk, a top, we talk a, about the Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep, and the TTOT, Tani Talks OT, on target occupational therapy, we talk... Every day, a thought of the day from an occupational therapist's perspective. And this live show, of course, the topic per session with some practical lessons are on all podcast forums. Except for the DAF show, the TTD, Tiny Talks DAF, which is on SheerEnjoyment.com. The Tiny Talks podcasts are available all over. Just look for the one that sounds interesting to you. Spread word as well, please. Shout out to Jake W. and L.E.N. for their amazing hard work on Sheer Enjoyment. And this year is for the Rafua and Yeshua of anyone who wants or anyone who needs. I am reachable at RebT at SheerEnjoyment.com. Hopefully, if you need or want anything or have concerns with any of the shows, please feel free to reach me at that email address. Are you happy with the direction your life is taking Are you happy with the direction your life has taken until now? Are you satisfied with your current life, your current job, your current chosen occupation, your hobbies? Are you happy with your accomplishments? If the answer to any of these questions is no, it might be a good time to reevaluate what the purpose, the real purpose of our life is. And what we are supposed to be doing here. And what the trajectory of our existence has been until now. And where it is going. There is much to do in this world. And even if you think you did a lot in your life. I believe we always have more to do. More to accomplish. More to fulfill. However, some people feel empty and lost at different points in their lives, especially in midlife, especially when kids are out of the house. Many people in life have what is called a midlife crisis. What is it? Is it real? Wikipedia explains, a midlife crisis is a transition of identity and self-confidence that can occur in middle-aged individuals, typically 45 to 65 years old. The phenomenon is described as a psychological crisis brought about by events that highlight a person's growing age, inevitable mortality, and possibly lack of accomplishments in life. This may produce feelings of intense depression remorse and high levels of anxiety, or the desire to achieve youthfulness or make drastic changes to their current lifestyle, or feel the wish to change past directions and events. Studies on midlife crisis show that they are less common than popularly believed. According to Valiant Valent in 2012, in his 75-year longitudinal study on adult development, he found midlife crisis were rare experiences for people involved in the study. The term was coined by Elliot Jacques in 1965. 
The common examples are a man buying a hugely impractical sports car or or motorcycle in midlife or purchasing a property and moving far away to find himself, quote-unquote, among many other examples. There's also the idea of an existential crisis, also explained by Wikipedia, which is not as age-specific. An existential crisis, also known as existential dread, are moments or is a moment when individuals question whether their lives have meaning, purpose, or value and are negatively impacted by the contemplation and may be commonly but not necessarily tied to depression or inevitably negative speculations on purpose in life such as the futility of all effort. For example, if one day I will be forgotten and gone anyway, what is the point of all of my work? It's like the example of someone who is put in prison, Lahabdil, and is told to churn and churn and churn the wheel every day because it makes butter and makes butter on the other side of the wall it's making so much butter so much butter one day he says I want to see the fruits of my labor show all the cheese show all the butter that I made over the years and he's worked so hard to the core to the bone and he's back breaking work and his spirit is like almost broken but he knows that I'm making butter I'm making cheese I'm doing something productive with all of this wheel turning inside the castle inside the dungeon One day they show him that on the other side of the wall there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing. The wheel is connected to nothing. On the moment the person faints, collapses, and passes away. It's a muscle, it's a parable, an example. But the point of the example is if you do something and there's nothing connected to it, all hope fades, withers, and dies away. If you do something... And you think all your life it's worth something and then you see the other side of the wall. You come to the other side of the wall and nothing is there. It is heartbreaking and is soul crushing. If all of my work is for nothing, if one day I am forgotten and gone, what is the point of my existence? What is the point of my life? An existential crisis. That is a crisis of existentialism, of your existence. What is the point of my existence? What is the direction of my life? What is the meaning? What is the purpose of my life? This issue of the meaning and purpose of human existence is a major focus of the philosophical tradition of existentialism. An existential crisis may often be provoked by a significant event in the person's life. For example, a life-threatening experience. A near-death experience, if you will. I almost... Not me. A person heard of of uh, of uh, Charlie Cloud Miffinface who almost died in a car accident. He saw his life life flash before his eyes. He almost was dead. Near death experience. I need to re. He needs to rethink his entire life. I'm getting out of my dead end job in accounting. I'm going to go save the forests of all the land and while I do that I'm going to provide homes for all the poor people in the world solving two crises of the world in one according to different people according to his philosophy obviously not all of us agree with that but whatever just an example we're evaluating an entire life due to a near-death experience 
It could also be provoked. An existential crisis can be provoked by reaching a personally, personally significant age. I'm turning 73, and what did I do with my entire life? I'm, I'm retiring from the city at 73. Some people retire at 60, 65. Let's say a person goes till 73 to cash out their, their TDA, to cash out their 401k through the city, to cash out their BRRRS retirement. For example, I'm turning 73. What did I do with my life? What a waste! I did nothing or did I do much? Did I help kids in the city? Did I help people in the city? Or did I just push paper for 45 years? Doing a dead-end job from 8 to 3, 8 to 5 every day? No, 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 no. I need to reevaluate what I could do with the rest of my life, a person may think. So reaching a person's significant age also can bring about an existential crisis or many other factors. For example, someone who finds themselves, someone who finds out that they're Jewish, they find out that their ancestry is Jewish, they have a life-altering crash in their life. My whole life I thought I was a hardcore Catholic in Wisconsin. My whole life I thought I was an evangelical Christian in Wyoming. I find out my mama, my mama, my mama is Jewish. So I'm Jewish. Crisis of faith. Crisis of existentialism. What the heck am I doing with my whole life? What am I doing with myself? I have to reinvent myself. I have to come to terms with the fact that I know nothing about this religion, nothing about Judaism, nothing about a Judaic way of life. I need to stop. I need to see what this is all about. I need to see what is involved in my life. I need to have an existential coming about, seeing what's going on. That can be another factor that brings about an existential crisis. You see, all these stories on H.com, the wonderful, beautiful website, that have all these stories, and I'm like, wow, my story is like so simple compared to that FFB from from birth. Didn't know anything. You see all these crazy stories of the converts and people that came were balachuva because of all these crazy stories. But they have different pivotal life events that make them reevaluate their life, reevaluate their choices. Ah, you know, Chanini, he was uh, smoking pot for 20 years. Chalara. They were involved in the in the peace, earth, love movement for 30 years. But what were they really doing? They were wasting away. They were hiding out in their vans, in their, in their dilapidated apartments, not doing nothing for 40 years. What was their purpose of their existence? They have an awakening. They have a soul awakening. Their existential crisis gets them to wake up and say, What am I doing with my life? What is the direction of my life? Usually... An existential crisis provokes the sufferer's introspection looking into oneself about personal mortality. Oh my gosh, I'm only here 120 years. I already wasted 33, 34 years, 40, 50, 60 years. What am I doing with myself? Thus revealing the psychological repression of said awareness. Existential crisis can be similar to anxiety and depression. The question is, what do we do with said awareness? What do we do with said introspection? What do we do with our existence? Yes, we have an awakening. What do we do with that awakening? What do we do with ourselves? How can we change the trajectory, the direction of our own lives? In existentialist philosophy, the term existential crisis specifically relates to the crisis of the individual when they realize that they must always define their own lives through the choices they make. 
The existential crisis occurs when one recognizes that even the decision to either refrain from action or withhold assent to a particular choice is in itself a choice. Again, in this philosophy, you recognize that even the decision to either refrain from action, I'm not going to be part of this bullying movement in school, in university, in, in the city, wherever. I'm not going to be part of this. I'm not going to force things on other people. I'm not going to mandate things on other people. I'm not going to push things on other people. Or to withhold assent to a particular choice, I'm going to stand up for the rights of people for personal freedom, personal liberties, medical choice, different choice, different things in life, I'm going to protect the right, the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness that is core to the Constitution, that is in itself a choice as well. You don't have to be 45 or 55 or 65 to wonder about the choices and direction your life has taken or has not taken. Don't wait for a God forbid stressor or a God forbid negative thing or a God forbid near-death experience, or a God forbid negative factor to make you think about direction and choices in life. Don't wait for something bad, negative stressor to cause you to reevaluate your direction in life. You can do so all the time. Every year we reflect on the past as we just had Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur to think about our past choices and mistakes or good decisions in the past year, but we don't have to wait for Rosh Hashanah every week after Shabbos, the week becomes anew. It's as if Shabbos gives birth to a new week, reels us into a new week. Every month, the, the month, the moon is shown to us anew. It goes through the whole cycle. It's as if we see the moon again. It waxes and wanes, even though it's always there, but we see a sliver and then we see a lot. We just moved to Gemara Rosh Hashanah. The introduction to the art scroll, Gemara talks about all this, how it's it's like the rebirth of the Jewish people, how it makes sense to have a calendar based on the moon, because 354 days with the calculations and how the earth revolves around the moon, and they, and they spin around each other every 30 days. The sun has nothing to do with that. It doesn't make sense to have a solar calendar. Yeah, okay, so Sunday, Monday, whatever. Really, it makes sense to have a lunar calendar, and we intercalate and put in the leap years to make sure that Pesach doesn't go back in time. Every 11 days, every few years, it wouldn't want it to end up in the winter. It has to be Chagaviv. It has to be the, the springtime holiday. But every month, we have a Rosh Chodesh. We have the beginning of a month. We have the ability to start anew, to think anew, to evaluate our direction, to think about where we want to be, where we want to go, how we want to bring about Mashiach. David Melch Yisrael Chai Kayam. we say every Kiddush Levana, because it's there. The sparks, the embers are there. David Melch's line is there. We just got to bring it about. We have to bring it about. Think about the direction of your life. It can be changed every week, every month, every year. It can be changed every day. Every day we wake up and we say, Moda Anila Fanacha Melachaivakayim Shehachazar to me Nishmasi. Rabba Emunasecha. You know, Rashis Chach Meyuras Hashem, Sechotavil Cholaseim Tilasot Omedis Laad. Every day Hashem gives us our soul anew, gives it back to us, puts it back in us as if we have new breath, new life every day. The question is, what are you going to do today? What will you do on this day? Every day is a new choice, a new being a new living, a new existence. Every month, every year, we have this decision, we have this ability to start anew. What are you going to do to start anew? The question further becomes, what direction is your life taking? What direction are you heading? 
What are you doing with your life? Are you using your talents wisely? Are you in the right field? Are you in the right profession? Are you involved in the right endeavors? This is what we need to think about on a constant basis. This is what we should think about in our own lives as we go about our days, weeks, months, and years. We only have 120 years. Do not waste your 120 years in a profession, in an occupation that makes no sense for your loves, for your passion, for your qualities, and for your talents. It doesn't make sense. It's not the right direction for you, for any of us. A major phrase that has stuck to me for many years is that which we learned from the Gemara from Makos 10 in the Gemara as follows. Amar Rabba Barav Huna Amar Rav Huna Ve'amri le Amar Rav Huna Amar Rabbi Elezer Min ha-Torah Min ha-Nevi'im U min ha-Ksuvim B'derech sh'adam rotze le'lech B'amolichin oto B'derech sh'adam rotze le'lech B'amolichin oto the path upon which God leads people, that's where you're going to go. In other words, the Gemara cites a statement that Rabbi Bar Rav Huna says, that Rav Huna says. Some say it was from Rav Huna, that Rabbi Elezer says, from the Torah, from the prophets, and from the, the writings, the Gemara proves. One learns that along the path a person wishes to proceed, one leads and assists him. Who is the one, the one that created the world, the only true God, the only true King, Hashem. On the path that you wish to go, the path you wish to proceed, the path you wish to be led, Hashem will lead and assist you. It's learned from the Torah as Bilam is led to the Jewish people, even though he wanted to go for the wrong reasons. He wanted to go so badly. Hashem said, all right, you're going to go, but you're going to go with what I say you're going to do. He ended up blessing them, obviously, even though he wanted to curse them. It's learned from the prophets as it talks in Yeshaya that somebody wants to go on a path, Hashem is going to lead you on the path. It's learned from Mishle. If someone seeks a cynic, he will cause him to join the cynics, but to the humble he will give peace. In the way that you want to go, Hashem will lead you. The way you want to go, Hashem will lead you. Meaning, if one chooses cynicism, chooses a bad direction in life, Hashem will let him go there. Hashem will direct him there. Everything is from Hashem's hand except for mitzvahs and, and uh, averos, except for choosing good and bad. You can choose bad. Hashem will let you choose bad. You want to go down the path and smell and eat that McDonald's all day? Hashem is going to let you. But if a person opts for humility, a person opts to do mitzvahs, a person opts to be helped to do good things, Hashem will help you. Hashem ya'azoroti. Hashem ya'azorotanu. Hashem will help us. Hashem will grant him the grace. Hashem will grant him the way and the possible aspects to do so. Hashem will lead you along the right path if you put in the effort, the hishtablis. You put in your two cents. You put in your tasks and your efforts. Hashem will lead you along the right path if you follow the talents and abilities you have to do for good. He will lead you where you want if it is a proper job. But if you're wasting your talents, he won't stop you. You could be a good bank teller doing mitzvahs, and you could be a person who loves to work with trains doing mitzvahs. But if your passion is with trains, and for some reason you're led to work in a bank, he's not going to stop you to lead to work in a bank, especially if you're still able to help people. But if it's not your passion, he's not going to stop you. You have to utilize and follow your own passion. 
If you have a passion for working with the trains, but your family told you it's impractical, instead you went to accounting school and studied accounting, became an accountant, Hashem will lead you along the way. He'll get you through the school, find you a job, providing you put in your ashtadlis. But is that the right direction for you? Is it fulfilling your love and passion for trains, for example? I don't think so. You may have missed the boat. And at a certain point, you may have a small existential crisis. For example, a co-worker friend, all examples over here, has a panic attack over the numbers one day, cannot handle the pressure, especially at tax season, coming home every night at 10 o'clock, missing kid bedtime, missing dinner with his wife, missing so much in life, and he literally has a panic attack and he quits. I can't take the numbers. I can't take the job. It's so stressful. I'm up at 6. I'm home at 10. I spend no time with my wife and kids. What's the point? We're all going to be gone one day, and I'm spending 20 hours away from the home in the office. This is nuts. This is crazy. I can't do this. I can't do this. It makes you evaluate what you are doing. Why am I doing this? Why am I working with numbers? Why am I in this field? Again, I'm not an accountant. I don't love trains. This is just an example. Why am I in this field? Why am I in the office? My friend, Moises, just left. He had a huge existential crisis and now he causes you to have an existential crisis. Why am I doing this? What am I, What is the point? So I can have a, a 200 grand paycheck and a big house and a big car, but if I don't see my wife, I don't see my kids, I don't see the house, I'm not involved in the house, what's the point? Is it worth it? I do not think so. I would rather get a less, this is me talking, I'd rather get a smaller salary and be a very big family man, a very big husband and, and, and father, be home and be involved in everything than make more money and not be home. It just is not worth it. Money comes and goes, but happiness, memories, that is what really is important. That's what stays. Yeah, I can make a ton more if I was doing home care and if I was visiting houses and if I took on two, three, four jobs. Yeah, but I wouldn't see my wife. I wouldn't see my kids. I wouldn't be involved in the home and it's just not worth it. Having a job working for the city where I'm home by four is really amazing, really wonderful. Yeah, I'm out in the morning very early. Got to be out by some days, you know, 6.40 to get the 6.55 train. Other days out by 7 to get there by 8. But it's only 8 to 2, and I could be home by 4. Then I have all those hours at home. I want to say that I'm home much more than I'm working. I don't like if someone's working from 7, 6 in the morning, they're out of the house, they don't get home till 10 at night. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. And for what purpose? What direction? What is the point? Why? Really? Is it about the money? Is that really so important? And after 120, you couldn't have lived in a smaller house with a smaller car, a smaller property. You would have lost out so much that you had to miss out all those years. All the hours you miss with your kids and your wife, it adds up. Those four hours every day, it adds up. I don't know how nurses do it. I don't know how doctors do it, especially if they have overnights and on call. I cannot imagine doing such a thing, being away a whole night. I don't even want to be away one night for my wife. When our son broke his arm a few years ago that was one of the only times in our entire life that I was not at home in the same location as my wife I don't understand how people send away their spouses even over the weekend even over the week or anything that's very against my philosophy very against my grain I don't know how people do it to each their own 
But to me, the job, all those hours just to make more money doesn't make any sense to me. You got to reevaluate. This guy has to reevaluate what he's doing. I got to get out of here. I have this feeling I'm in the wrong place. I've always loved trains. Khalila is saying, no, not Khalila. Moises' friend, Shmerel, is saying, what am I doing? I love trains. I can't stand being in the office till 10 p.m., getting home 10, 11 at night. This is crazy. What's the point? I'm missing so many hours with my kids. They stay young so short. I don't know how our oldest is already six, how the other one's already four, the other one's already two. Crazy. Life goes by so fast, and if you have a job that you don't like, having hours that are crazy... You're going to miss out on them growing up, and it is a sad state of affairs. This guy might have this existential crisis, thinking, the nagging feeling, I'm wasting my time so many hours away from home. Of course, a person has to work, do their shtalis, make the money, support their family, but does not have to be in such an extreme sacrifice? And is it even a self-sacrifice when we could find better things, when we could look into different things, when we could find different abilities to do so? I did have a second job for a few years, but it was from the house, from the attic, remote OT, online. So if there was a cancellation or in between students, I could go up and down, up and down. I could still take care of so many things around the house, get them in bed before I went up to see the remote students because I didn't want to schlep out of the house. I don't want to miss those hours. I don't want to miss those hours. In the end of the day, money is not the most important thing. The size of your house, the size of your car, the size of your property is not the most important thing. Spending time with the spouse is number one. Spending time with the kids, I believe, is number two. And then you can make time for the rest of the family, rest of the friends. But number one in your life always has to be the spouse. Number two has to be the kids. There was an article that came out that supports this theory. And everybody was very upset online about it. My wife showed it to me. Shouldn't your kids always be number one? No, because then the kids become spoiled. Your spouse should be number one. The kids will learn a loving relationship, a warm relationship, and realize parents are key. And then when the parents have a sound basis, then there's a better, safe, wonderful basis to deal with the kids. You have to spend time with each other every day. Spouses, daytime every day. My wife and I try to do this. We try to to watch something together throughout the weekend. On the weekends, we try to watch a movie. Hallmark is our big friend. And on Shabbos, what we do, we try to read something next to each other. I'm very into Jewish novels. We buy a lot of books from Menucha publishers, and we like to lend them out. And that's our Shabbos activity, spending time. You know, we talk about the books, We especially when we read the same books, and we switch. Ah, oh, did you meet the character? Is that your favorite character? Who's your favorite character? Where are you up to in the story yet? And then when we're watching things together, it's important. Understand what's the purpose. Where is the direction of your life? What are you wasting your time doing? Is it really better to be out with your friends, your boys, for hours? You haven't been home for 10 hours and then you rush to your friends to go bowling with them and you leave your wife behind? That doesn't make any sense. Your spouse should be your best friend. Your kids should come next and then everyone else comes after that. Prioritize. Understand what you're doing. So this guy, Schmerl, sitting in his office, listening to his coworker. His coworker leaves the company, quits, can't do it. He had a panic attack. Auditing season was killing him, killing his family life. He never was home. He left. Instead, he became a consultant for a company. He does their accounting, but he does it on his own time. He became Shmerel's friend, Rerel. Rerel Incorporated only works 8 to 3. He still makes enough money, and he still is able to be a family man, and he's much more happy, much more fulfilled. But Shmerel never loved accounting. That's what his family pushed him to do. He's always a little resentful. He's stuck in this dead-end job, 
you know, doing accounting, doing numbers that doesn't make any sense to him. He really loves trains. He's got to get out, apply to the LIRR, man, apply to Amtrak. Or maybe a person doesn't have an existential crisis, but they just have a small nagging feeling that this job, this profession isn't right. Why would you become a nurse or a doctor if blood makes you pass out? Ah, oh, because my family always wanted a doctor in the family. Okay, so let them find a rent-a-doc. Call 1-800-DOCTOR. But if you have a serious problem with blood, I have a serious problem with blood. Cadavers was another thing. They weren't alive. That was our studying for anatomy. I have a serious problem with live blood. I couldn't do it. You can't push me. You can't force me. I'm a very stubborn person anyway. Can't force me. Ah, you want a lawyer in the family? You want a businessman? I'm sorry. That's not my calling. That's not my talents. That's not what I love to do. You can't push me to do it. And if you do push me, they're, at some point they're going to be very resentful, very upset, and they're going to end up leaving it anyway. So you waste all that money on med school, on law school, on business school. To what point? To have someone resentful against you to push them to, to do what you want them to do? you got to let the kids choose what they want to do. Maybe that would solve people who have existential crisis. Ah, you had to take over the family business. What if they don't want to? What if that's not their talent? What if that's not their calling and they're going to resent you the rest of their life because they took over Bellinger's Incorporated? That's not the right direction for them. Something can go wrong down the line. You could easily avoid that by letting people pursue what's passionate for them. That's the whole point of college. It's hard for me to fathom that in Israel, you have to know your major going into college, and in European colleges, you have to know what you want to do already. That's difficult. Here, a lot of people find their calling in college. That's the point of all these different courses. One of my passions I actually found in college, radio. I love radio. That was found in college when I had this social show. A person might have a small nagging feeling their whole life that something is not right. They might need a wake-up call, but hopefully they don't need a wake-up call and they find their direction earlier in life. A person might just miss the boat entirely and stay at a dead-end job forever that they hate. And that would be a very sad state of affairs. I really hope that doesn't happen to anyone I know or anyone we know. That would be so tragic, so sad. You have 40, 50, 60 good working years to contribute to the world, to do good for the world, and you end up at a dead-end job you hate forever? No, that's not right. That's not good. That can't happen. It's up to you. You find your direction. You find your purpose. You find your talents. You find your qualities. And that's what you'll do. How do you know your purpose? How do you know your calling? We'll show you in a few minutes. A wonderful article helps point that out. I myself had always thought growing up that I would work in real estate. And actually drawing houses and pictures when I, would ki- I was a kid. I was very into different house styles. I found it fascinating. I really thought I was going to be a realtor. Seven week course. Make tons of money. Show houses. So cool. Very awesome. Very awesome. It wasn't until I worked in Camp Hask. The Hebrew Academy for Special Children. A beautiful, beautiful experience of a camp. Children that have all types of special needs. They get a seven week basically vacation upstate with different bunks and different counselors so I did this for three summers and in that experience of those three summers I felt a very different direction especially my last summer summer 09 when I was there I felt a very different direction a different calling in life than what I thought I was going to do real estate one day in the summer of 2009 I was bringing my camper in a wheelchair to receive his occupational therapy services in what was known as the therapy building. 
I had brought him in his wheelchair and helped him out of the wheelchair onto the mat for the occupational therapist to work with him. I remember the therapist laying him on his stomach, otherwise known as the prone position, and have him toss items into a bucket. I thought this was mind-blowing. I thought to myself, this is amazing. This is called therapy. This is called OT. A profession when you can have fun and play with the kids and still work on the skills that they need. That is perfect. This is it. This is what I want to do with my life. Just like that, my direction changed. I studied psychology in Yeshiva University in YU as an undergraduate, got a BA in psych. Went to LIU Brooklyn for a, an, a BSMS, Master and Bachelor of Science in Occupational Therapy for grad school and became an occupational therapist working with kids in the public school system, the NYCDOE, New York City Department of Education, where we work on many skills for kids. Now I'm entering my seventh year. I know how long I'm working because when my son was born, my first son, our first kid was born, that's when I started working. So if I can keep track of how old he is, that's how long I know I'm working. So we're entering year seven now, six and a little bit really into the seventh year. And we work on so many things, working with the kids and their functional skills, cutting, writing, pasting, so much more, buttoning, snap, zippers, so much cool stuff for the kids. And I love what I do. I love what I do. And that's how I know that's the right direction I was supposed to go. I felt this was my direction, my right direction. Can you imagine if I was working in a bank, God forbid, or I was working in a law firm, or a doctor's office, I would feel this nagging feeling in the back of my brain. This is not right. Tani, this is not right. This is not what you're supposed to do. What are you doing here? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your abilities. Why are you behind a bank teller's desk? This is not right. Thank God I don't have that and I was pushed in the right direction by seeing and experiencing a, an event, an interaction that pushed me on the right direction. I hope everyone is put on the right direction in their own lives. On the side, I felt a calling, a direction to do something with my voice in a radio and audio style way. How did I know this? How did I feel this? It happened in YU. I always loved listening to the radio growing up, especially talk shows like Elvis Duran and the Z Morning Zoo, Lahadil Khatasi, Avisi. And, uh, and Scott and Todd in the morning. I didn't like what they talked about. I loved the idea of being on the radio, on the, ra- and the, on the radio waves, hearing it in the car on those radio um, transmitter thingy-majigs I, I had when I was working and in, in volunteering. I used to carry it around. I loved the idea of people listening to a voice but not seeing the person, hearing the voice around the country. You know, before TV was invented, there was radio and radio programs, and it was probably much more exciting in some ways because you invented the characters. You listened to the characters. That's why, to me, audiobooks are still fascinating because you don't see it, you hear it. I love audio. I love the voice. I love radio. So when I was in college, I got the opportunity, the ability to be on WYUR, Yeshiva University Radio. That was awesome. That was amazing. My friend, my very good friend, got me on his show, and then when he left, I had a show I kept his partner. My partner was very busy, so I took another partner, my roommate. It was basically a social hack show, you know, hawking around, you know, about dating and whatnot. It wasn't the best way to use radio on my voice, and nowadays I try to do tshuva using it in a good way. 
But I loved being on the radio. I loved it. That hour flew by. And in an ideal world, I would love to work in radio, Jewish radio, somehow, some way. Don't worry, I did reach out many times over email, over uh, the phone, to many different places. Never got any callbacks, never got any, any anything in the return. So I'm doing my hashtalis, but that's not where I'm supposed to be yet. I guess podcasts are where I'm supposed to be for now. But I really loved being on the radio. I hosted the social platform show for an hour with a phone call in line, which was so cool. We had the computer on Gmail, Gchat. I had the earphones. I had the, the, the actual like microphone in my face. I had my coworker. We had an intro that my brother drew up for us. I had the microphone, the headphones. I had the works. I look forward every week to that hour when I could be live on the radio. WYUR, this is the Dating Hawk with Tawny. I could be live on the radio waves on the microphone. I loved it. So this, this feeling of radio, this feeling of doing audio and using my voice, it stayed with me over the years as a burning desire and passion to be on the radio. The question was how to do so and what to do with it. And what to do that could be more purposeful than just a social show. So I wanted to do something meaningful and not just talk about social life things or dating things. Now that I'm happily, happily married to my wonderful Ezer Kinegdo, my wonderful Beshert, my wonderful soulmate for many years now, thank God. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about something that really could be beneficial and a mitzvah outlet for myself. So I sat down and Hashem inspired me to look into podcasts and start them. I can even remember it was a cloudy, rainyish day. In March 2018, and Hashem hit me with the idea over three years ago, over almost three and a half years ago already, what to do. So He inspired me, Hashem inspired me, everything is from Hashem, to do something with OT, to talk about OT. Yeah, there are a couple of OT podcasts out there, maybe 10, 20 of them, but not in the format and the style that I wanted to do. A five to 10 minute show a day where we talk about things from an occupational therapist perspective free to help parents, to help educators, to help kids. Every season we had a different concept. Last year we did For the Love of This, For the Love of That. I told, talked a lot of things that I love near and dear that could help others with an OT spin. This year we're talking the thought of the day, what's on my mind for the day and how it could help people from an OT perspective. We talk about like different toys and different grips and things like that from an OT perspective. And I, then I said, you know, what can I do from a Jewish outlet, a Jewish perspective? And I said, what's my favorite safer of all time? So I'm going to do a show. Shem inspire me. We talk one Mishnah of Perkeavos per day. We basically, it basically takes us throughout the whole year, the whole school year, with a couple of breaks for winter break and spring break and summer break. And it takes us the whole year. There's like 120 Mishnahs or something. One Mishnah per day, a different commentary each season. So that's what we've been doing. And now we're in season five with the commentary of the Sforno. And that's what we do. And then the Daf show picked up, where I wanted to do pick one piece of Gemara that talked to me that we could give a practical lesson about it, two, three, five minutes a day, just from the Gemara. Then the Parsha show picked up. I want to talk about the Parsha in the past season Chabad and this year, just talking whatever comes to mind. We just recorded the one for this week about Avraham going against the grain. And then the live show picked up during Corona. That's the most recent show. So after OT and Pirkevos was the original two, then came the Daf and Parsha were the next two, and much more recently came to life the Life Lecture Series, previously known as the Lecture Series with Reb T, 
with. And now we call it Tani Talks Life because my role model, Rabbi Seltzer, I met with a, a while ago and he said, we got to change the name of the show to Tani Talks Podcast. Tani Talks This, use my name in it. And that's what happened. So that's how it went about. I feel very fulfilled in the side hobbies of the podcasts. But my inclination, my dream, my desire, my full audio passion is to do more. To really be live on actual radio, on a station, a Jewish station in live time that you could hear in the car or the radio. That would be Mamish Menashamayim. That would be the epic. That would be the key. I also want to be on stage for a TED Talk. That would be awesome. So that is the direction I want to take. Personally, I wanted to give my example. Little by little, I hope to get there. I also try to use acoustic guitar as a side hobby, an outlet to write and sing songs and play music over the years. Recorded two episodes of that as well as the OT show. But in general, for you as a person, as a listener, as a, as a person who needs direction, figure out what could be your direction. I also want to point out that sometimes directions can be taken out and can be failed. Like, during Corona, I had this wonderful idea of a kid Jewish book, basically a Jewish version of Where's Waldo. you got to find seven characters, six or seven characters and six mitzvah items. I thought it was awesome. We were going to call it, you know, a cool alliteration name with Jewish scenes of Hanukkah and whatever. I thought it was wonderful. I paid a fortune to an illustrator to make a sample booklet of sample PDF that I have. No one wanted to pick it up, even trying 12 Jewish publishers. So that's the direction I took that did not work. That is the direction I took and failed. But that's okay. Sheva Yipal Tzadik become. I am not a Tzadik by any level, but I live for that phrase. One of, that, one of the phrases I live by in life is a lot of times we fail, but we got to get right back up. So the question is, where do you want to go? What is the direction you want to go? We all need to think of the direction we want to go. What direction do you want your life to take? Where do you want your life's trajectory to go? Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Sachs, points out on H.com, Smartphones can do amazing things. A few more amazing than ways or voice memos, which I love how I record my podcasts on. Waze, though, is the Israeli-designed satellite navigation system acquired by Google in 2013. But there's one thing even Waze cannot do. It cannot tell you how to get there. I mean, it could tell you, excuse me, it can tell you how to get there, but it cannot tell you where to go. That's up to you. That is something you must decide. The most important decision we can make in life is to choose where we want eventually to be. Without a sense of destiny and destination, our lives will be directionless. If we don't know where we want to go, we will never get there no matter how fast we travel. Yet despite this, there are people who spend months planning a holiday or vacation. Holiday! But not even a day planning a life. They simply let it happen. So it is the life of nations and individuals. If you see what happens to you as mere chance, your fate will be governed by mere chance. That's what the sages meant when they said, Whatever the, wherever the Torah says it came to pass, it's always a prelude to tragedy. Vayihi this, vayihi that, not good. What comes next? That was not a good story. It had a good ending, thank God, but that was not good. If you simply let things come to pass, you will find yourself exposed to the vagaries of fortune and the whims of others. But if you believe you are here for a purpose... Your life will take on the directedness of that purpose. 
Your energies will be focused. A sense of mission will give you strength. You will do remarkable things. That was the special insight Jews brought to the world. They did not believe, as people did in ancient times and as atheists do today, that the universe is governed by mere chance. The people who change the world are those who believe that life has a purpose, a direction, a destiny. They know where they want to go and what they want to achieve. In the case of Judaism, that purpose is clear. To show what it is to create a small clearing in the desert of humanity, where freedom and order coexist, where justice prevails, the weak are cared for, and those in need are given help. Where we have the humility to attribute our successes to God and our failures to ourselves, where we cherish life as the gift of God and do all we can to make it holy. In other words, precisely the opposite of the violence and brutality that is today being perpetrated by some religious, religious extremists in the name of God. To achieve this, though, we have to have a sense of collective purpose. That is the choice that Moses, speaking in the name of God, set before the Israelites. Mikra or Mikre. Does life just happen, or is it a call from God to create moments of moral and spiritual beauty that redeem our humanity from the ruthless pursuit of power? Forget the power. Forget the fame. Forget the fortune. Forget the huge house, the huge mansion, the huge car, the huge property. That's not important. Find the purpose and do it. To give human life the dignity of a purpose, that is what Jews are called on to show the world. Follow your direction. Find your direction, then follow that direction. Hashem will lead you along the way. Rabbi Tatz points out on H.com, We choose a direction, perhaps feeling that this must be the correct one, and tomorrow we are forced to wonder how we could possibly have seen things that way yesterday. The situation appears exactly opposite now. And of course, the next day we feel even more confused. Eventually, we lose confidence in our sense of direction altogether. Life is a halting, faltering business. Three steps ahead today, two backwards tomorrow. And so often, no more than helpless circles with the dismay of crossing our own tracks repeatedly. So our ordeals are confusing. That is their essence. Our task is to develop the tenacity to hold on to the truth even when tempted to see a change. Our goal is to break through into clarity. That is transcendence and that is the meaning of there is no happiness like the resolution of doubts. The greatest happiness is simply knowing one's direction. Even if one has not yet started along the road, simply knowing which road to follow in life is a great elation. Torah is that direction and one's personal portion in Torah is that road. Think about what you love to do most in life, aside from your family, aside from your wife and kids, aside from taking care of your house and taking care of your yard. Think about what you love to do most in life. If you could do what you love, what would it be? If you had all the money in the world and all the time in the world, what would you do? That's a way to define what you should do. The answer for me is radio and OT. What is the answer for you? There's a famous article from Sarah Yochavit Riegler that words this much better than I could ever say it. So listen to this. It helps with thinking about your life, its mission, and your direction in life, and explains it far more better than I could ever say. Many of us go through life 
like that. We follow the route laid out by society. Going to college, finding a job, getting married, raising a family, but with no clear sense of the unique mission entrusted to us. We are pulled in many different directions, feeling compromised in what we do and guilty for what we don't do. Identifying our mission is, according to Rabbi Aryeh Nevin, the first step in leading a life of vibrancy and joy. When you intersect your life's, with your life's purpose, he explains, you feel excitement. That's how you know you're doing what you're supposed to do. When you feel excitement in what you do, you feel a jolt of awesome. That's how you know. Knowing your personal mission is essential preparation for Rosh Hashanah, which we just had a few weeks ago. On Rosh Hashanah, God apportions to each of us life, health, livelihood, and everything else we should all only know from the health, happiness, and good things. What is your plan for how you propose to use the life God gives you? The CEO is not going to dole out a million-dollar budget to an employee who doesn't have a carefully worked-out proposal. Rabbi Nevin offers two methods, listen to this carefully, two methods for discovering your mission. Ask yourself, number one, ask yourself and write it down. What were the five or ten most pleasurable moments in my life? And I would say, aside from you know, finding your wife, having each kid, the five or ten most pleasurable moments in your life. Number two, ask yourself the key question in life. If I inherited a billion dollars and had six hours a day of discretionary time, meaning time to do whatever you want with no burdens on them, no necessary anything on them, six hours, what would I do with the time and the money? Again, the five or ten most pleasure moments of your life. And if I inherited a billion dollars and had six hours a day to do whatever I wanted, nothing chore-related, nothing spouse or kin-related, six hours of your own time during the day, what would you do with the time and the money? When answering the first question, eliminate the universal transcendent moments, such as witnessing the beauty of nature or listening to music. Your mission, of course, may have to do with nature or music, but on a much more individual level than the high all people feel when they see the Grand Canyon. Although your mission may require hard work or genuine sacrifice, when you are engaged in your life's mission, you experience, as Rabbi Niven puts it, this feels so good that I could do it all day long. Barbara Silverstein is a wife, mother, and hospice nurse. When talking to the author recently about her life's mission, she shrugged. Although her personal and professional lives are fraught with difficulties, she soldiers on with dedication and integrity. The author asked her what she would do if she had loads of money and six hours a day of discretionary time. Barbara thought for a few minutes and then replied with passion, I would set up a Jewish outreach center for the elderly. In my work with the terminally ill, I'm always facing men or women who are about to lose their spouse. And they say to me, I don't know what I'll do about the funeral. I don't have a rabbi. They want a spiritual connection with their Jewish roots, but they're clueless about how to do it. The more that Barbara talked, the more fervent she became. So that's your mission, I told the author told her, to establish a Jewish outreach center for the elderly. That's real pioneering work. No one else has done it. Are you kidding, Barbara replied, between my family and my work, I don't have time for anything else. Remembering Rabbi Niven's advice, the author suggested take a half hour twice a week. Sit down with a pen and paper and just start brainstorming. Write down whatever comes to your mind. 
what the first steps would be and what you would want it to look like in the end. Ask the Almighty God, Hashem, for help in making it happen. He can give you whatever He deems you should have. And then see if the opportunity to take the next step emerges. Two weeks later, Barbara phones the author, brimming with excitement. This has really gotten my imagination going. Everything I've learned throughout my life is coming in handy with this plan. I don't know if it'll ever amount to anything, but just thinking about it is like an electrical charge in my whole day. My husbands and kids ask me why I'm smiling so much. The Creator has outfitted you with a unique set of aptitudes, talents, and interests perfectly suited to what you are charged with accomplishing by following your inclinations and abilities. You may have already found your mission. Sometimes your mission is deposited in your lap, such as the birth of a special needs child. You should never know from such things, but people who have this in their family are amazing, amazing people. The National Tay-Sachs Association, for example, was founded by the parents of children suffering from Tay-Sachs, the parents' daunting challenge metamorphosed into their life's mission. If your mission is not yet clear to you, take a half hour between now and Rosh Hashanah, and since Rosh Hashanah passed, take a half hour now and the next month. Every month is a renewal. And reflect on what do I really want to do with my life? Perhaps you work full-time developing software for Microsoft, but you've always felt a tug to write a book about internet addiction. Just like before, you're working in accounting, but you always love trains. Perhaps your greatest pleasure is tending your vegetable garden in suburban Detroit, but you've always dreamed of living on an agricultural settlement in Israel. Such inner urges may be whisperings from God, little hints from God. The secret message from headquarters disclosing your true mission. The concept of each person having an individual's life's mission is a key to respecting other people. Otherwise, you may feel that what's important to you should be important to everyone. You're an environmental activist. You may blame your sister for being oblivious to the environment. Without appreciating her mission is to fight Holocaust denial. You belong to a group that feeds the homeless. You may find it reprehensible that the other group is apparently heedless to the homeless and spends all their time in pro-Israel activism on campus. Being able to say this is my mission and that is theirs is the gateway to true tolerance and respect. Everyone has their own direction. Everyone has their own mission. Knowing your individual mission validates your life and releases you from the pernicious habit of comparing yourself to others. Jonah Salk's mark on the world may seem as deep as a crater while you're taking care of your handicapped brother well, anyway, which you never know from such things, may seem like a fingernail impression, but from a spiritual perspective, the light you are shining into the world is unique and exactly the light you came here to radiate. Another point, fulfilling your individual's life mission does not exempt you from your global missions like supporting your family or raising your children. Starting an outreach center for the elderly may have to wait until your children are grown. Writing that book on internet addiction may have to be tucked into your spare hours after your full-time job. Don't worry. The Hashem, the God who assigned you your mission, will make sure you have everything you need, including time now or later, to fulfill it. So the question becomes again, what is your purpose? What is your direction? What direction are you heading? What direction are you taking? Sit down and think about it. Analyze it. Think about what you would love to do. Besides for taking care of family and friends, think about if you had money. And time, think about the most pleasurable experiences in your life, besides for things related to, again, the esoteric things, and besides for your spouse and kids. What would you do? That's what you should then be doing. 
Rabbi Noah Weinberg Zetzal points on Aish.com. Did you ever get on a train going somewhere only to find out you're headed in the wrong direction? The same thing happens in life. We set goals and make plans, sometimes discover that we're on the wrong train. Bevinat haleva literally means binat halev, really, understanding the heart. The heart is the seat of emotions. We say, my heart is heavy, my heart is lifted, my heart is broken, etc. To understand your heart is to understand your true inner self. Many people go through life making assumptions about who they are. They never take time to meet themselves. Don't be afraid of discovering that the real you may be different than the current you. Often a crisis hits at midlife when people ask, what's my life about? Is this all worth it? We've heard stories of people who suddenly change directions, quitting their job, getting divorced, God forbid. You know, like the successful doctor who decides he never wanted to go into medicine in the first place, so he drops and becomes an artist, just like we talked about earlier. Knowing yourself is the essence of being alive. If you don't know yourself, you're not living. If you don't know what makes you tick, you're a robot, a puppet, a zombie. Don't wait for a crisis. Life is too short to take the wrong train. Get down to basics. You want to be rich, you want to be famous, you want to be good, you want to be accomplishing, you want meaning, you want to be creative, but why do you want all this? What's driving you? What do you really want out of life? Ask yourself 10 questions that you should ask that you would ask a close friend. Then wait for the answers. Don't worry, no one is going to poke fun for you. What is the purpose of life? Number one, what is my goal in life? Number two, why did I choose this career? Number three, how do I spend my spare time? Number four, what is my motivation for doing what I do? Number five, what really makes me happy is number six, am I as happy as I want to be? Number seven, is it more important to be rich or to be happy? Number eight, I told you before, there's no amount of hours in the day that should be taken just to get a few extra bucks if it's at the sacrifice of your wife and kids I don't think, looking back, that's what we want to do or where we want to be. So, is it more important to be richer to be happy? Who is really rich? Not the person that has millions. You're never satisfied. You always want more. The happy person is someone who looks at his lot and is content with his lot and figures it out. Number nine, what are my future plans and why? Number ten, what are my secret dreams and ambitions? Don't be surprised if the answers aren't immediate process can take many months. Stick with it. Find out what makes you tick. The answers are hiding in there. The most important question to ask, what am I living for? Think about what your skill set is and what life really is about and how you could fuse the two. H.com points out on the daily lift, your soul is on a mission from its creator. You are unique. Only you are you now and always. Only you are you now and always. Only you have your unique life mission. Your loving Father and awesomely powerful Creator loves you and wants you to succeed. The situations and occurrences throughout your life are divinely orchestrated to elevate you and your character. The questions you ask yourself about life create you, get you to focus on a direction. The Torah states in Devarim, and now what does Hashem ask of you? Please note the word now. Now what does Hashem ask of you? That's a question we need to be aware of many times throughout the day. Right now, what am I being asked to think, say, and do? That comes from Aisha's Daily Lift and also Life is Now, creating moments of joy, courage, kindness, and serenity. When you find that mission, you find that direction, make sure to follow through and persist at it. Stick with us a few more minutes. We have some great two stories and a few more sources, and we'll bring it all home. Thank you for joining us and staying with us. So listen to this story from Nisan al-Safran on Aish.com. 
Knock, knock, Cindy said as she opened the door to let her younger sister Sherry's as she opened the door to her younger sister Sherry's camp bunk. While she'd been going to Camp Lakeside for years and knew the ropes, she wanted to make sure Sherry was adjusting well in her first summer away from home. Oh, hi, Cindy, Sherry greeted her with a big smile. Hi, you hadn't come by during afternoon break for a couple of days. I wanted to make sure everything was okay. Everything's great, Sherry beamed. I really like this camp. The best part about it is my new best friend, Karen. We spend the break time together. Actually, I'm on my way to eat her now. That's good, said Cindy. Karen stays here in this bunk with you? Sure, she sleeps right here in this bed. Sherry said, pointing to the bunk bed over her own. And this is her locker right under mine. Hmm, sniffed Cindy. How come she got both the better bed and the better locker? What do you mean, Sherry asked. Everyone knows that the top bunks are better because no one climbs over you and that the lower lockers are better because you don't have to stand on a chair to reach them. You don't have to stand on a chair to reach them. You should make her trade with you one or the other. Oh, said Sherry, her false face falling. Well, anyway, it's no big deal. Karen and I have a great time together. Every day after breakfast, the sinus out of a robot to use during break. I'm going to the lake to meet her there now. She said, grabbing a box of cookies out of her locker, which suddenly did seem hard to reach. Cindy shook her head. That's not fair. Why should you always be the one to have to wait in line to sign up? Everyone knows it's a big hassle. You should tell Karen to do it half the time, and I hope she brings snack for you to share also, not just you. Yeah, sure, I guess, Sherry shrugged. I never even paid attention, but from now on I sure will. Well, I guess I've got to run now, Sherry said, not nearly as smiley as she had been when her sister first walked in. The next day, Cindy was take, talking with a couple of her friends during afternoon break when Sherry walked over, head hanging down. Hey, this is a surprise. I didn't expect either to see this time of the day. I'm bored and homesick, the younger girl sighed. But, really? When I saw you yesterday, you seemed so up. Aren't you spending break time with your friend Karen? Sherry grimaced. She's not my friend anymore. Why? What happened? I don't know. I just told her all those things you told me. We got into a big fight, she sniffled. We don't even talk to each other now. As Cindy hugged her crying sister's head, she felt like crying herself over her thoughtless words that had turned friends into enemies. Oftentimes in life, we take a certain direction. We take a certain avenue. We say things to friends. We, we befriend people that are the wrong people for us. We find neighbors. We find people that are the wrong influence for us. We let things into our houses, into our lives that are the wrong things for us. And our direction drastically changes. We have to realize when it comes to our direction in life and dealing with friends in our lives, make sure to be sensitive to their wants and needs and to allow their emotions to take root. To fully support their job and occupation even though it might not be something you would ever do. I myself can never be an Uber driver or barista or accountant or lawyer or doctor, but there are others that love those fields and we have to respect that. Here's another story from Nisano Safran on H.com. As the, store, as the school bell rang, Rebecca Sears suddenly felt a new surge of energy. While she enjoyed her classes well enough, it was her after-school dance group that really got her excited. That's her calling, maybe. The group was now preparing its annual holiday program. This year's theme was Rosh Hashanah, the Coronation Day. Before they started, Mrs. Allen, the dance instructor, had explained the theme to the kids. Something about how on the Jewish New Year we proclaim that God is our king and not just our dictator. Rebecca really didn't understand what she meant by that. After all, God was king whether we proclaimed him or not. What was the difference between dictator and king anyway? But she didn't allow herself to think about this too much as she was much more interested in getting into the dance. But once practice started, Rebecca began to feel like she, like she was being ruled by a different kind of dictator, Mrs. Allen. The instructor worked the kids really hard. She wasn't at all like last year's instructor, let them do more or less whatever they wanted. Mrs. Allen stood over them to make sure they did each move properly, made them practice the move so many times that Rebecca felt like she was going to pop. 
After a few days, Rebecca felt like she couldn't take it anymore, was ready to quit the group to escape the dictator's clutches. But she figured since she was already there and dressed for practice, she would endure one more session. They started up. Again, more repetition, more tough, tough moves, but this time Rebecca started to feel a little different. She noticed how she was beginning to master the complicated dance steps and how the whole group was really starting to come together. Everyone making the right moves at the right time really made a difference. She began to feel excited. If they kept it up, if they kept it up, this was going to be a real professional show, not like last year's sloppy performance. But what was even more interesting was that Rebecca began to see Mrs. Allen in a different light. She watched her busily go from girl to girl, encouraging each one to try a little harder, to bring out her best. Try a little harder, a little more. She could feel the instructor's real love and dedication to both her students and to their production success. Maybe Mrs. Allen wasn't such a heartless dictator after all. Rebecca didn't quit that day. In fact, she and the rest of the kids got more into the dancing than ever before. They actually looked forward to Mrs. Allen's instructions and exercises because they knew she was doing it to help them. By the night of the show, they had gelled into one big, perfectly choreographed team, thanks to the devoted leader, Mrs. Allen. The auditorium was packed as Rebecca and her friends stood anxious but confident backstage. Mrs. Allen addressed the audience with a few opening remarks explaining the theme of the show, just as she had to the kids before the first practice session. She talked about how Rosh Hashanah was about discovering that God is not just our dictator, but also, but our loving and dedicated king. Uh, sometimes what he sends us might seem difficult and hard to understand, but it's all in his plan to help us grow. Although Rebecca had heard it all before, this time the, words were, the woman's words suddenly clicked. Now she understood. These were exactly the feelings she had been having about the instructor herself. The dance recital went great. Everybody said it was the best ever. But for Rebecca, it was something special, a living lesson about loving leadership at the, and the start of a great new year. When we push ourselves and find what our calling is, life seems so much more energized and revitalized. Think how you can find your mission. Identify it. Run with it. Don't be stuck in a dead-end Bing Teller job if you love animals. Don't be stuck as a barista if you love airplanes. Make sure to sit down and think about what you really love, what you would do if you could have the time and the money and if you thought about your most amazing moments over the years. Don't let life pass you by on the direction of the years of your life. Proverbs points out to you a few other sources, like channel water is the mind of the king is the in the mind of the king is is in the Lord's hand. He directs to whatever he wishes. All the ways of man seems right to him, but the Lord probes the mind. Hashem is the one that really pushes us along the path, along the way. Pray to Hashem to set you on your way. The Akedas Yitzchak points out divine intervention when applied to the Jewish people is the norm. Rather than the exception, divine intervention when applied to Gentiles is restricted to a small segment of people and occurs at rare intervals. Hashem is always with us. Everything in our lives, all our decisions of where our life would turn was directed by Hashem and His intervention. Remember, Hashem is always at your side. Proverbs also points out, Many designs are in a mind's man, but in, a, in man's mind, but is the Lord's plan that is accomplished. Man plans and God laughs. That's the quote, the old Yiddish saying. Understand, really, Hashem is leading us along the way, hopefully the right way with our mission. Save Harry Karmamra 2 points out that the Torah says, O oh, give thanks unto Hashem, He is good, concludes the essence of goodness is that His mercy is forever, it continues. For this reason, God spoke of as who is discharged at all times, like happy are they that keep the justice and righteousness, the word Oseh, being singular, we must refer to Hashem. Happy are they that keep the justice of Hashem, which is righteousness at all times and imitates his conduct, as the rabbis say, is following in the footsteps of what we should be doing in a Torah way and a mitzvah way. 
Chobos Alvavo Studies of the Heart points out one should not think that his livelihood depends on a particular means, and that if these means fail, his livelihood will not come from a different means. Rather, trust in Hashem. Know that all means are equal for him. He can provide using whatever means at any time, however he wishes. The point is, don't stay in a job or a profession you hate just because it's steady, quote-unquote, or safe, quote-unquote, for a paycheck. Follow the right direction. Hashem can give money for any type of job, any type of calling from anywhere. The Svarna points out in Devarim, Rak be'avosecha chashak. This is why I perform miracles with interfere with natural law. These miracles were for benefit, orchestrated because of his fondness for them. Hashem's purpose must have been to have arise on the earth someone even more perfect than any of the creatures, a perfect human being, one that realizes his full potential, will resemble Hashem to the maximum extent that can be possible. Resembling Hashem on earth doing the right direction. Radak points out in Bereshis, the Torah tells us Yitzchak encountered them as if by coincidence. The fact is, Hashem arranges matters for the benefits of those he loves without their even knowing it without their even being aware of it. There's no coincidence. It is all Hashem pushing you on a path, directing you where to go. Make sure it's a good direction, the right direction, in line with what you're supposed to do, and Hashem will help you. Perkelvus points out in 2.1, which is the straight path, Rabbi said. A man should choose for himself one, which is an honor to the person adopting it, and on account which honor accrues to him from others. Make sure whatever path, whatever direction you're on, is one of Torah and mitzvahs. Doing good for the world and reflecting well on Hashem. And Perkelvus points out, Go out and see what's the straight path the person should cling to. Rabbi Legend says a good eye, and then they go on and sing a good friend, a good neighbor, a good consequence of the answer, and Rabbi Lezer says a good heart, and that's the one that Rabbi Yochanan wants, a good heart. That is better than everything else because everything comes with it. If you have a good heart, you follow in your direction, you do good things, that's what you're supposed to do because you need to choose the perfection and the di- direction of life that fine-tunes you to have a good heart and be generous in nature. Hashem will push us on the way if we go in the right way. All of our lives come from Hashem. Everything is in His intervention. Remember, Hashem is always at your side. Don't stay in a job or profession you hate just because it is steady or safe. Hashem can give you the money from anywhere. Follow the right direction of what your talents are. There's no coincidence. It's all Hashem pushing you where you're supposed to go. Hopefully it's the right direction. Make sure whatever path, whatever direction you're on is one of Torah and mitzvahs. Doing good for the world and reflecting well on Hashem. And choose a profession direction in life that fine-tunes you to have a good heart, giving and generous in nature. Understand that Hashem wants you to succeed, but you have to find that path for Him to walk you along to fulfill your mission in life. Think about, as Rabbi Niven points out, if you had all the money in the world in six hours a day and you could reflect on the ten most pleasurable experiences of your life, what would that be? I told you for me... That therapy session with my camper in Camp Hask was a turning point to be an OT. Being on the radio was so awesome, so amazing. That was a turning point for me. What is it for you? Don't get on the wrong train of direction in your life. Don't board the wrong plane in your life. Make sure to identify your skill set, your passion in life, your abilities and your capabilities. Follow them regardless of setbacks. Please don't be set in the wrong job your entire life. Don't be resentful to your parents for forcing you into a profession. Don't be resentful of anyone else pushing you in a direction that's not where you want to be. If you love trains, go deal with trains. You love animals, go do that. Don't be stuck. As a grocery teller, a grocery manager, if you really love to work with computers, why would you do that? You need to be where you need to be. Follow in your direction. Follow in your skill set. Follow what you love to do, your passion, your desire in life. Hashem will have your back. And the whole world will be so much better off with your contributions for doing so. 
This has been the TTL, Tani Talks Life, where we talk a topic per session with some practical lessons. God willing, join, join us again in two weeks where we talk another topic with some practical lessons. And I'm your host, Tani.